Good morning. Welcome to this time of teaching. Welcome to our online worship and also into a brand new teaching series titled Beyond the Faint Heart. For the next several weeks, we'll discover eight ways to move beyond discouragement. The Bible instructs in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1, we do not lose heart. Older translations render, we do not faint. Now, the idea of faint in the scripture indicates spiritually one who becomes affected by the negative condition of the soul. When our hearts, when the internal man becomes affected by negative comments or circumstances, sometimes that negative experience can penetrate our soul and dictate what we think or how we speak. Uh, The Bible instructs to move past those moments where we feel faint of heart, where we feel weary or where we feel discouraged. This becomes an amazing encouragement for every follower of Jesus today because I will tell you uh, we're either in a moment of discouragement coming out of such a moment or headed towards such a moment and that does not represent pessimism but certainly a reality of life and having written some of these teachings as God has instructed my heart I never knew then how real and fresh the application of this truth would even be for my own life. And so it becomes very important for us to discover from God's word how we move past discouragement. We really can't avoid moments that will will have a discouraging uh, effect, but we can move past them and not become bogged down in circumstances or in comments that would truly discourage us. So welcome to this teaching series. I'm excited to journey with you through 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As we discover how to move beyond discouragement, the Bible has many, many directives on how to to move past discouragement. And 2 Corinthians 4 holds several uh, truths that will help us uh, in this journey to move beyond discouragement. There's a story told of an insurance salesman who approached a notoriously difficult to sell customer with a with a pretty impressive policy. The year was 1883 and the policy was a $50,000 policy. Well, the insurance salesman tried and tried again to have the contract signed and eventually the customer relented. He signed, he, he attempted to sign the contract and the, the salesman was pretty excited about, about this sale. But as the customer was handed the pen to sign, the pen malfunctioned, the contract was ruined and the customer then said to the salesman, Hey, I think I will wait a while on this policy. Well, this discouraged the salesman. Because a malfunctioning pen cost him this very impressive policy. So as the story is told, the salesman, Lewis Waterman, decided to design a fountain pen that would not cause such problems. He designed a pen that became, for the next 50 years, the pen to use as a, as a writing stencil. And this became known as the, as the Waterman Fountain Pen. I love this story because the story gives us the indication that regardless of the discouragement that can, can seemingly push us back, there are opportunities within that discouragement for, for some incredibly powerful and exciting opportunities to develop. Now, if this is true in such a story as the one we've just visited, how much more true 
does, does this become a reality for the follower of Jesus? More than sheer uh, optimism or, or more than sheer uh, wishing for a good opportunity to happen when, when negative circumstances have, have arisen, spiritually speaking, we have an incredible direction through our discouragement led by by God's truth and the the spirit of Christ himself as we look within our discouraging moments to discover amazing opportunities that can develop and opportunities that God himself has authored so I, I pray that as you consider how the scripture teaches us to move through the discouragement, that you'll not um, have a, a vain hope or just a, a mere optimism, but that you'll understand God himself scribes on the tapestry of your discouragement amazing opportunities and open doors beyond what we could ever hope for or imagine. So welcome to this teaching series, Moving Beyond the Faint Heart, Moving Beyond Discouragement. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, the first century pastor and, and missionary, reveals his own movement from opportunities of discouragement to, to blessings that God had for him in those moments where he was tempted to be discouraged. And as we study 2 Corinthians 4, we will see many different expressions of how God protected Paul from being bogged down in discouragement. And so we look at the first truth for the opening of this teaching series. Part one of this series simply states that we need to realize what we have received in order to move. Beyond discouragement. Second Corinthians chapter four, beginning with verse one, we read, therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. I'd like to make two observations with you. First, the human context. And secondly, a practical application. We'll enter into chapter four, verse one. Because we have this mercy and this ministry, we do not lose heart. We'll, we'll discover this very deeply from the human context and then from a practical application. Now, let's first consider the human context. Paul becomes the, the key person, humanly speaking, concerning the truth of 2 Corinthians 4, concerning the call to, to not be faint of heart, but to move past those moments of discouragement. So let's look inside Paul's life and, and to see the, the larger context of his life, we need to consider some truths that were scribed in, in chapter three. Again, Paul's writing a letter in chapter three and four, not unlike most of his epistles, really fit together with one message in mind. And so uh, chapter four fits perfectly right on top of chapter three so that we can better understand Paul's context Paul's personal frame of reference as he faced some very difficult moments and discouraging moments. And God allowed Paul to move through them unscathed so that God's will could be perfected in Paul's life. God has the same desire for you today. I'm not certain what type of discouragement you have faced or maybe that you're presently facing, but I can assure you. God is scribing on the tapestry of, of your discouraging moment a powerful and beautiful blessing and opportunity that goes well beyond 
what we could understand or imagine or hope for. And so let's look at Paul's human context for just a moment. Inside of his human context, particularly as we look back to chapter 3, we notice a lot of opportunities that Paul had for discouragement. Now, looking in chapter 3, Paul actually is answering some of the uh, attacks that came upon him verbally. Paul is actually defending his his own calling or apostleship before those who had uh, very uh, ardently attacked Paul's credibility. Now, actually, Paul's defense began even earlier than chapter 3. At the end of chapter 2, verse 17, Paul wrote, For we are not like the many who make a trade in God's message for profit, but as those with sincerity, we speak in Christ as from God and before God. Well, Paul's ministry and Paul's testimony of faith in Jesus was authentic and genuine, but there were many who were attacking his authenticity. So Paul began a defense of his calling or his apostleship, which can can be found in chapter 2, verse 17. But when we look at our present text, chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, we glance forward a bit just to verse 2 to discover some of the specific verbal attacks being laid against Paul. In verse 2 of chapter 4, we read, Instead, we we renounce shameful and secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message. There were those who became opponents to Paul. There were those who rose up and verbally, publicly attacked Paul. Paul never gave in to that discouragement, but it doesn't erase the fact that the discouragement had presented itself. In fact, Paul began his defense against such attack, but the attack was not new. There had been many who had spoken against Paul before. But here, these opponents actually came from within the Christian fellowship, the church at Corinth. These were individuals who rose up and spoke vehemently against Paul from within that very congregation that Paul had planted. Paul began the church at Corinth and Paul spent some 18 months there before moving on. And now, perhaps not even three years after the church was founded, many individuals rose up to direct focus away from Paul's apostleship and leadership to be placed on others who actually had come into the church and portrayed themselves falsely as church leaders, as as uh, proponents of the gospel, but they were anything but. And and this uh, this attack, again, was relentless. The ruse was very simple. An implication of Paul lumping him with all the other false teachers. And they did this over and over again. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4 and 5, Paul referenced these false teachers who had risen up against him. In verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 11, Paul said, For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach to you, or if you receive a different spirit which you had not received, or a different gospel which you had not accepted, uh, you do not need to put up with this. So Paul referenced that there were individuals 
proclaiming a certain uh, faith that was totally uh, in contradiction to the gospel, to allegiance to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians eleven five, Paul said, Now I consider myself in no way inferior to the super apostles. Trust me, that statement super apostles was used very sarcastically because there were individuals who came into the church puffed up and, and presenting themselves uh, very uh, boisterously and, and, and very brazenly to hopefully earn a hearing. And these were those who attacked Paul. What did Paul do in response? How did Paul react to this uh, opportunity that continued to arise for discouragement? I mean, can you imagine being Paul and having such uh, scathing attacks made against you verbally again and again and again? Well, there were opportunities for discouragement for Paul as we look in his human context, but there was also success in the face of that discouragement. So how was there success for Paul amid such discouragement? Well, it was about the perspective that, that the Spirit of God gave Paul in his own life and in his own heart. First, there was an immediate perspective. If you're still looking in chapter 3, which again serves as a prelude to chapter 4 and also somewhat of a commentary on, on chapter 4, you'll notice in chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3 that Paul spoke of the Corinthian church and those who had truly been changed by the gospel as letters of commendation. In Paul's day, there were many who traveled with letters of commendation. And, and sometimes false teachers travel with these letters of commendations, falsely commending them to be people of influence in other churches. And, and in fact, many of these who carried these letters that were falsely scribed are either given under false pretense. These letters seems to seem to verify uh, individuals who did not need nor nor did not uh, fit the the message of the church. And yet they found their way in places of leadership because they had a false letter of commendation. Uh, there were a positive expressions of these letters. But here Paul referenced in his own life that he did not hold up any letter of commendation. His letter of commendation was written by God on the hearts of those in the church of Corinth who had been changed by the gospel. And so how did Paul find success in his life as a follower of Jesus amid such discouragement? He had an immediate perspective. He could look around and see that how God had used him in the lives of others and how the gospel, whether he preached the gospel or not, how the gospel was changing lives. In fact, I love how in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 11, Paul said to the church at Corinth, hey, it was either me or one of the other apostles, probably meaning... Uh, Apollos or Peter, Paul said, in any case, whoever it was that God used to preach the gospel, the gospel reached your heart and you were changed. And so Paul focused on the immediate perspective to take him past the discouragement. He, he saw with his own eyes that the gospel of Jesus Christ was changing uh, individuals. And, and he saw that from an immediate perspective. But a second perspective Paul had was a life perspective. Paul referenced his own calling as, as a calling that moved past the law, obviously, and moved past an expression of glory 
that was given on Moses' face back in Exodus 34. Moses had been in the presence of God for long periods of time, and the glory was there. That glory would fade, but the glory from God's presence was there, and, and this frightened the people of Israel. Even Moses' own brother Aaron was frightened, and so Moses veiled his face. And then Paul used that as an analogy for his present day, where there was also a veil over man's heart, keeping them from seeing the glory of God in Christ that will never fade. And so Paul preached that that only through Jesus could that veil be lifted. You see this in verse 14 and in verse 16 of the third chapter of 2 Corinthians. And so Paul proclaimed a life perspective. His life was committed to preaching the truth of Jesus so that the veil that would remain over people's hearts kept in place partly because of their allegiance to the law, but nothing beyond the law. And Paul preached Jesus and saw how the truth of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit lifted that veil from the human heart so that they could see the glory of Christ for who Jesus truly is. So Paul overcame discouragement by focusing on the immediate perspective of people's lives being changed that Paul knew, but also on the life perspective of his own calling. He could see how the gospel of Jesus makes the difference. So regardless of what the enemies and the opponents of Paul said against him, he held to these perspectives and these perspectives kept him above discouragement. He also held to an eternal perspective. At the end of chapter three, Paul spoke about the glory that was that was fully unveiled in Christ. And Paul wrote in verse 18 of chapter three, we all with unveiled faces are reflecting the glory of the Lord. Well, that's actually a, a passive verb, meaning that we are beholding the reflection of the Lord. God's full glory is reflected in Christ. And we mirror that reflection as we grow in our relationship with Jesus. And that that full glory will not be experienced by us until we're in God's presence, because we know truths like first John chapter two, verse three tells us that we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. And that speaks of when we'll be in God's presence. But until then, we are reflecting the glory of God that's been revealed through Jesus. And we have an amazing opportunity to move from that glory to the glory that will be fully present when we stand in heaven with Christ forever. So Paul held to that eternal perspective of the glory of Christ as well. So an immediate life an eternal perspective kept Paul from being sucked down and bogged down by the discouragement. So Paul overcame and found success in his life as a follower of Jesus, even though discouragement buffeted his life day after day. I, I love the statement from, from writer Amy Carmichael, who observes this. Everywhere, the perpetual endeavor of the enemy of our souls Satan himself is discouragement. If he can get the soul under the weather, he wins. It is not really what we go through that matters. It's what we go under that breaks us. We can bear anything if only we are kept inwardly victorious. Yes, the enemy's number one tactic is to bring discouragement against followers of Jesus. And so the human perspective of Paul reminds us that regardless of the relentless onslaught of discouragement, we can stay focused with the right perspective on what God is doing around us, what he's doing within us, and what he would do as he carries us home. Keep your focus there so that you're not pulled down by 
by discouragement. Now, having moved past the human context, we now come to the second observation, the practical application. And and let's make the practical application of this great truth about moving beyond discouragement with a couple of questions. And the first question is simply this. How do we not lose heart? Now, as a reminder, chapter three focused on the human context. But as we enter chapter four, we now focus upon the practical application of a life that does not become beset by discouragement. And as a reminder, chapter four, verse one of second Corinthians tells us that because we have this ministry and we have received mercy, we do not give up. We do not lose heart. We do not grow faint. Now, that becomes our calling against discouragement. We do not lose heart. We do not grow faint. So how do we move beyond a faint heart? How do we not lose heart? Well, we we need to remember what we've received. This becomes the, the first step in moving beyond discouragement. What have we received? But let's let's get to the truth of this uh, through question number one. How do we not lose heart? Let me give you a few answers to this question. Number one, do not take the negative to heart. This is how we do not lose heart. The very word from where we uh, translate the phrase lose heart comes from the term ekakeo, which actually means the negative of the soul or the the negative of the heart. Uh, We are not affected by a weary soul. We do not allow the negative to be taken to heart. The very word loose heart comes from a word that means that you're affected by something negative that has transpired in your own soul. Our soul represents our mind and our emotions, our feelings, our, our will, our desires. And at times, something is said or done that pierces like a knife into what you think and how you feel and what you desire. And sometimes that piercing goes deep and can feel so debilitating. But our our first answer to the question, how do we not lose heart, is we should not take the negative to heart. It pierces deep, but we should not allow that piercing to define who we truly are on the inside. And so the very word itself, ekakeo, actually means to be affected by a weary soul. We cannot be affected when someone's words or actions make us feel weary on the inside. We cannot allow that to affect our being. So the first answer to the question, how do we not lose heart? Do not take the negative to heart. Second answer. I love this. The simplicity there of yet the power. Do not give up on God. Do not give up on God. This word again, uh, ekakeo, meaning to lose heart, can also be found in another place in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, where we read, uh, do, do not grow weary, there's the word weary, or lose heart. Do not grow weary in doing good, Galatians 6, 9 proclaims, because in due season, God will bring a harvest if we do not grow weak. Well, the same term is used there to indicate how one should not Grow weary because God is going to bring an increase. God will do what he has said. So how do we not lose heart? Heart, We cannot give up on God. 
Whenever a discouragement comes, can you imagine being Paul and relentlessly again and again, even people that he knew within the church at Corinth, even people who prescribed themselves to be of support to the ministry and to the gospel turned against Paul and spoke scathing comments against his character and against his calling. And Paul remained focused how he would not give up on the promises of God made through Christ because all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. So Paul would not give up on God. This does not become a a brazen boldness. This becomes a humble journey forward, clinging to the truths and the promises of God through one's faith in Jesus. So how do we answer the question? How do we not lose heart? We do not give up on God. But a final answer to the question, how do we not lose heart? We do not fear. And this becomes very important. Paul said in chapter 3, verse 12, Therefore, having such hope, and he spoke about the hope of those perspectives we looked at earlier, what God was doing immediately in his own life and how God would take us all home to be with him. Paul wrote, because of this, we have hope. And so we use great boldness. Paul referenced boldness because the glory that Paul would proclaim would not be the fading glory referenced from the Old Testament in the life of Moses, Exodus 34, but a, but a glory that is fully manifested in Jesus. Because of the message, the gospel, because of Paul's own experience with Christ, Paul said, we speak boldly. We, we speak of our faith in Christ. We speak of the truth boldly. When Paul said boldly, he did not mean brazenly or with brazenness. Sometimes I think a brazen word and attitude can be mistaken for boldness. Paul said, we are bold in that we are confident in what God is doing. Therefore, we do not fear. His boldness countered the, the act of cowardice. So Paul said, we, we are bold, translated, we do not fear, we do not act the coward. We are confident in God and in what he's doing and how he's leading his people. So this is how we do not lose heart. We saw this evidenced in Paul's human context. And now in our practical application, we, we do not fear. We do not act the coward. We have confidence in what God has said. We have confidence in Jesus. And therefore, this secures us from, from not losing heart. So we've answered the question, uh, how do we not uh, lose heart? I'm reminded of a statement that was made by John W. Yates concerning a missionary in New Guinea. This missionary had served in the jungles of New Guinea for a lengthy period of his life and had undergone many difficulties. Listen to his comment about discouragement. This missionary writes, when you're on your back with fever and at your last ounce of strength, when some of your converts backslide, when you learn that your most promising inquirers are only fooling, when your mail gets held up and some don't bother to answer your letters, that is the time not to put on your mourning suit. No, that's not a time to mourn. No, sir, he writes. That's the time to pull out the stops and shout hallelujah. Why? Because the old fella, and he means Satan, the old fella is getting it in the neck and he's giving it back. And all of heaven is watching over the battlements. Will, will the servant of God stick it out? 
And as they see who is with us, and as they see around us the unlimited reserves, the boundless resources, as they see the impossibility of failure with God, how disgusted must the host of heaven come, and how sad they must become when we run away. But this missionary concluded, but glory to God, we are not going to run away. We are going to stand. Now, I love this testimony. How can we in difficult times put on our mourning suits? How can we mourn? This is a time to celebrate because the old man, the enemy, Satan, he takes it in the neck when when we stand for Christ and he will give it back. So when you're discouraged, this may be a true sign. That that you are strongly serving Jesus, even to the threat of the enemy himself. And your discouragement may be signs of the enemy pushing back. Do not give in. Do not act like the recreant. Do not become weary and give up. But stay strong. Do not lose heart. So we've answered the question, how do we not lose heart? And the final question in the practical application piece of our study Ask, why should we not lose heart? Well, this becomes the sole beat of 2 Corinthians 4.1. Why should we not lose heart? Mercy and ministry. Now, do not allow this second term to throw you and, and cause you to think that this only references vocational ministers. Absolutely not. In 2 Corinthians 4.1, Paul said, because by God's mercy... We have this ministry. We do not lose heart. Why should we not lose heart? Because of these two powerful words, mercy and ministry. As we close, can I just explain what these words uh, meant to Paul? And I believe they will truly encourage you as you face discouragement. First, consider God's mercy. Notice uh, from the scriptures, and I'll share a few verses with you. You may want to write these references down. Or simply listen. But notice Paul's perspective of mercy. Even in the face of embattlement with discouragement. Uh, Paul wrote of God's mercy first in this way. In Romans chapter 15, verse 15 through 16. This was Paul's perspective of his own calling. God's grace has made me a minister of Jesus Christ. It is only by God's grace. So Paul's perspective of his own calling and his own life's pursuit was God's grace. Paul was excited to, to be involved in what God was doing, and he knew that he was involved because of God's grace, God's mercy. Incidentally, this word in the Greek text from which we read actually means God's merciful acts toward us. And so Paul's perspective of his calling was by God's grace. But also notice from Scripture, Paul's perspective of his own self. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 through 10, Paul said, and this is so powerful, by God's grace, I am what I am. Whatever was good in Paul's life, he would say came by God's grace. His mercy, his, his endless mercy toward me, Paul would say. And Paul wrote, by God's grace, I am what I am. So Paul's perspective of his calling, God's grace. Paul's perspective of his self, God's grace. But, but third, you could read from Ephesians 3.8. Paul said this, Least of all people, God gave me the grace to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So consider Paul's perspective of his ability. 
Wow, this is powerful. Paul said, my own ability to preach the gospel comes because of the grace of God. So Paul's perspective of his calling, Paul's perspective of his own life, and Paul's perspective of his own strength and ability built upon God's grace and God's mercy. Why should we not lose heart? God's mercy toward us. His grace that picks us up and carries us forward. Those days that you feel you can't take another step. Those days that you feel discouragement weighs so heavy that you have more questions than answers, that you have more challenges than strength. Those are the days you remember more emphatically than others the mercy of God that will not simply see you through, but will empower you to overcome the discouragement. Too many of us are living satisfied that we'll just simply be discouraged. That's not any act of life to be satisfied with as a follower of Jesus. We have God's mercy that lifts us up and carries us beyond the discouragement. But secondly, consider the ministry. Well, by God's grace and his mercy, Paul saw his calling, his life, and his own ability totally dependent upon the goodness of God's mercy. But next, this word ministry is an answer to the question, why should we not lose heart? Can I share with you how Paul viewed his own particular ministry? You have a particular ministry, whether you know it or not, child of God. You, you may see your life as a mom or a dad as your particular ministry. Perhaps God has given you a specific calling to serve others in life. Perhaps even in the church, you have a specific calling. And this is not a, a, an exclusive reference to a vocational calling. But as God has raised you up as his child to serve and to live for him, you have a particular calling. Notice how Paul viewed his own particular calling or personal ministry. And I have a few examples here. First, Paul saw his his own ministry as as something that was necessary. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9:16, "It is necessary that I preach. I am compelled." This was Paul's way of saying what God has has performed in me, man cannot dissuade. What a powerful statement Paul made when he said, "It is necessary that I minister because I am compelled to do so. Oh, with that type of, of energy in, in life coming straight from God's spirit in Paul, how could he, how could he not be encouraged to step over discouragement? And so you and I must consider and must follow the same. We must see that it's necessary that we serve our Lord and that we serve him only. Paul also said, uh, in Ephesians 4, 1, Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Paul not only saw his ministry as necessary, but Paul understood the worthiness of his ministry. Paul said, walk or live worthy of the calling that you've received. God has his hand on you if your faith is in Christ. He's doing a good work in you and through you. He desires to do so. And that ministry, that calling, that act of service is something that God sees as infinitely worthy. Paul, Paul said, live out your calling in a worthy way, Paul said, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received. The term worthy in Ephesians 4.1 comes from the Greek word axios, which actually means a balance. We get our word axiom from this, or axis. The idea indicates a, a balance, uh, like, like scales that are they're measuring one side to the other. Paul wrote, the calling God's given to me on this side, I, I equal it over here with how I choose to live my life. If I live in discouragement, how does that equal the worth of God's calling on my life? No, we can't. 
We can't equal God's calling in the way we live if we live under discouragement. So we must live worthy of that calling, rising above discouragement. This was Paul's testimony of his own ministry. But one final statement Paul made of his own ministry is from Ephesians 2, verse 10. I love this and really leaning to this. Now, in Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 8, Paul said, By grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Your life, your ministry, your calling, your identity as a follower of Jesus comes from your relationship with Christ. So Paul saw his own ministry uh, from, from the perspective of necessity. Paul said it's it's necessary. I'm compelled to serve him. Man cannot dissuade me. And then Paul saw the worthiness of his ministry or calling. And Paul said, I will live worthy of that calling. And then Paul saw his, his ministry or his calling as a product of his relationship with Jesus. So this was more than just an ecumenical assignment or, or some noble task he inherited from some ideology passed on to him. No, because of Jesus. And his personal relationship with Jesus, Paul said, I'm serving him. This became his ministry. How could anyone discourage this? This became an amazing stalwart safeguard against discouragement in Paul's life. What a phenomenal reason for you and for me not to lose heart. So mercy and ministry calls us to remember what we have received. God's mercy. In God's hand of calling on our life. We've received this, our salvation and our purpose, who Jesus is and how Jesus will use us. We've received this and this alone should speak well of how we should not lose heart. But I, but I know sometimes we can lose heart. We can grow uh, pretty discouraged. I want to close with this story. Carl Barth, amazing theologian, once wrote a letter to a young pastor who was ready to walk away from a very difficult and discouraging moment. Do you know who that young pastor was? Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you know me well, you know I love the life and and the the teaching and the writings of, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would not have made the impact by God's hand that he made had it not been, I believe, for a letter Karl Barth wrote to Bonhoeffer. I want to give you a piece of that letter. I think you'll find this encouraging. Barth wrote Bonhoeffer this. This this took place in 1933. What is all of this about going away and quietness of pastoral work at a moment when you are wanted in Germany? You who know as well as I do the opposition in Berlin and the opposition of the church in Germany as a whole stands inwardly on weak feet. Why aren't you always there where so much could depend on there being a couple of people at every occasion trying to do what can be done so that all can be saved. I think that I can see from your letter that you, like all of us, are suffering under the quiet common difficulty of taking certain steps in this present chaos. But should it not dawn on you that there is no reason for withdrawing from this chaos that we are rather required and with our uncertainty, even if we should stumble or go wrong 10 times or a hundred times, we are required to do our bit. One simply cannot become weary now. Still less can one go to England 
What in the world would you want to do there? You must now leave go of all of these intellectual flourishes, however interesting they may be, and think of only one thing, that you're a German and that the house of your church is on fire and that you know enough to be able to help and that you must return to your post by the next ship. Wow! Karl Barth wrote his dear friend and colleague Bonhoeffer and said, what are you doing in England? Get back to Germany. Don't be discouraged by the chaos of your own house. And as history has proven, Bonhoeffer returned to Germany some 16 months later and had a phenomenal impact on the Christian church in Germany during the Nazi regime. What an amazing reminder that regardless of who we are in this life, we will face discouragement, even as Bonhoeffer did. We will oftentimes choose the easier route. But I'm grateful for the words of those like Barth who said, this is not a time to choose the easy route. This is a time to do your part. If you're discouraged today because of all the events that have happened in this world, if you're discouraged because of personal struggles, May I say, this is not a time to throw in the towel. This is not a time to run and quit. This is a time for you to say, with God's strength and with the presence of Christ in your life, I will do my part. Not brazen, but bold. Not discouraged, but encouraged. Not hateful, but loving. Not negative, but hopeful. Not apathetic, but energized to do your part and to rise above discouragement to see God do some amazing things in your life. Church, friends, community of faith, I love you a lot. Thank you for joining us today. I know this is a lot to consider. But remember, how do we move past discouragement? Remember what you've received. Remember the mercy and remember the ministry that God's given you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time of teaching. And Lord, as we depart to uh, fulfill whatever this day brings, help us, God, to stand strong and to stay true and to not be discouraged. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Hey, if you need to reach out to talk about what it means to know Jesus, to walk with him, if you need encouragement in your faith, uh, there is a website location that will pop up. Please go there. We'll communicate with you. We'll connect. We truly desire to, to uh, lead you in understanding salvation is only in Jesus and then being encouraged as you trust Jesus with your life. Hey, join us again uh, next week for part two of Beyond the Faint Heart as we work through 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and discover how to move beyond discouragement. Be encouraged. Love you a lot. God bless.